The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The Chicago Bears lose once again, this time at home, to the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. I bring on Bill Zimmerman to talk through the ups and downs of the game on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast celebrating the mathematical elimination of the 2021 Chicago Bears and more than likely the Matt Nagy era. We are here today with myself, Robert Schmitz, your host, and Mad Dog Radio with Sirius XM's Bill Zimmerman, the WCG host of Bears Banter. Bill, I just got to be on your show last week. Only fitting that we celebrate, we ring in the holiday season with another <laughs> Bears season ender. How are you feeling after Monday Night Football? I, I mean, let, let's just say the emotions are confusing right now because, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to to admit at this point, I'm, I'm not really invested in wins and losses at this point. I've said on my podcast a number of times that I haven't really been invested in wins and losses for most of the season because I never – I kind of expected the Bears – I maybe thought the record would be a bit better, but I expected the Bears to be here at this point with, with this roster and, and where they were headed. But at this point in the season – you, you watch this game and you sit there and you see some promising things from Justin Fields and you see a surprising performance from a defense that we assumed was going to give up 400 passing yards to Kirk Cousins. And they had an unbelievable performance. The Bears offense almost doubled the Vikings offense in terms of output and in, in yardage. And they were never in the game. It's it's really you just don't even know how to wrap your head around a game like this. Oh, I mean, like I'll repackage something that we talked about in the preview show. So, Bill, it's Sunday night. You're asleep. Right. And I, as a specter, visit you in a dream and whisper to you (laughs) that tomorrow young cornerback Thomas Graham is going to show out in a phenomenal way. And he, Robert Quinn, and a possessed Akeem Hicks are going to lead the Bears to an interception. They're going to hold Kirk Cousins to not only 100 like passing yards, but his lowest yardage total ever at any point. And you wake up on Monday, what do you think happens to the game? Like, no way we lose. Right, right. I'd sit there and go, well, then Dalvin Cook, if we lost, must have had 200 yards of offense. No, Dalvin Cook was contained as well. <laughs> they did such a great job defensively. Tip of the cap to Sean Desai for this one. And the fact, it's just, it, it's remarkable. And and it, it comes down here and you see some meathead sitting there trying to complain about the defense or this or that. But in this, this particular game, this comes down to offensive execution. And in a lot of, on a lot of plays, it was putrid. Oh, it was awful. And before we get into the bad stuff, because we've spent, I mean, the better part of a year now talking about the bad stuff. There's somebody who I think we have to call out by name. I already mentioned Graham, and I already kind of alluded to this guy. But I I feel like, Bill, we can't go this podcast without saying that the Bears defense with Hicks and the Bears defense without Akeem Hicks from 2019 to 2021 is probably a more noticeable drop-off than anyone else on their roster. Am I crazy for thinking this? I've defended I mean, a he... lot of different defenders, but Hicks on the field versus Hicks is not on the field has had one of the biggest impacts from a heart and soul perspective. I, I almost can't put it into words. It feels intangible. You know what I mean? It really is. And Hicks does. He has that, you know, that, that personality that just 
will just, you know, he'll, it'll infect the whole defense. And I mean that obviously in, in a positive way. He he had his presence was felt today. This felt like a 2018, 2019 Akeem Hicks that we really haven't seen that often. He was a wrecking ball. He was a force in the pass rush. You know, he he made you know, a, you know, tackles for loss. He was disruptive. That it's a, an Akeem Hicks that, you know, when he's present like that, you don't notice the missing Khalil Mack as much because you can have the Hicks Quinn tandem, which by the way, Robert Quinn. I mean, have we ever seen a turnaround of a guy who was so bad one season and is at the point now he is at the cusp of breaking Richard Dent's sack record for the Chicago Bears for most sacks in a season. He has been a force from day one this year. He's got three games to get one and a half, right? Like that's all he needs to tie it. I mean, at this point, Bill, the only way that I can put it, right? I I don't even have flowery and nice words to say anymore because it's it's almost irrelevant. The truth is, Bill, when we hear he's banged up or you know he's hurt, and we've started because if you're like me, especially when somebody crests thirty, we've started to just sort of discount that and say, okay, come on, he's aging. Like injuries sort of come with it. We've gotten this rare opportunity to see a 33-year-old completely healthy human being and how that compares to a 32-year-old with drop foot and nerve damage. And it is so different. It's it's just stunning, right? Like It, I, it, it I, really is. And, and I'll <laughs> throw this out at, at you right now because, you know, you know, and I know it's a post-game show. we got to focus on, on the field. But I'm going to throw this at you. You get hired to replace Ryan Pace. And George McCaskey looks at you or the new president, whoever it is, and says, Robert, what do we do with Robert Quinn? Do we trade him or do we make sure he's lining up on the edge next season? Oh, gosh. I mean, so it's so funny because if if George is asking me, right, then, <laughs> then I have to think about it the same way he does. I have to think about ticket sales. I have to think about who goes on the poster, right? I have to think about how when, they in, when an NBC inevitably puts Bears Packers in Sunday Night Football again, who are they going to show? Right, like uh, at least get the game at home, so we have a chance. It's a Lambo every, every time, time, every time. But uh, that—that's one thing. But oh my gosh, Bill! Like that trade argument, it only gets louder, especially since the 2022 team doesn't necessarily look like it's going to be a Super Bowl contender. I—I I don't want to be all team buildy either. We can get there, but man, oh man, how—how how would somebody not be a buyer? Because every sack Quinn gets makes his contract actually start to look a little amenable. Like, sure. we thought only a year ago it was, and I quote, an absolute albatross. But at this stage, with him uh, at, turning in a 16-stack season, if the season ended today, and it doesn't, like, he, he he's actually kind of on a deal. Like, he's he's being paid what was market worth three years ago. Like, right. the Oh, man, there's a contender that I feel like, I mean, come on, Bill. Everybody wants edge help, right? And if you right. could get a second-round pick for Robert Quinn, who probably doesn't have four good seasons left in him, that's a steal for a team that, uh, let's put it this way, to get back to postgame, I feel like as I watch the Bears' offense, we could really use the talent. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, yeah, a little bit. A little bit, little bit of help on offense. Just just a, a little bit. But, um you know, when, when we look at the offensive side of the ball, uh, I'm going to ask you a question, and the answer is as obvious as, as as you think it is. When I ask you, who is the most dangerous player offensively for the Chicago Bears? Oh, gosh. So I, I would tell you Justin Fields, in my personal and, opinion. And that's the answer I'm looking for. Okay, good. Then there you so go. So if he's the most dangerous player on the field, why are the Chicago Bears leading the NFL in wildcat snaps? <sighs> Oh, man. Um, so, first of all, that answer actually could partially be included in Justin Fields' mistakes this evening, where if you give Justin a whole yard, he tends to try to take the entire yard and maybe a little bit more, and that can lead to some mistakes. Like, if there is a moment, and I can't believe we're, we're jumping into criticizing Fields, like, this really is <laughs> the current blemish in his football game. It's that whether it's trying to attempt a jump pass on a screen that leaves him with no good option 
if he does if he's not able to throw that ball or trying to break inside on a defender that's diving inside on him so that's obviously going to be a ball security issue for literally anybody lest he spin which has gotten him into enough trouble in the past fields We'll try to make too much of a play, but gracious alive, Bill, that doesn't excuse it, right? I mean, I, I'll do you one better. The first 10, first and 10 scenarios, I'm throwing out a first and 18 that happened immediately. So okay. first and downs that were first and 10, the first 10 of them were runs. This was a trend that we saw. No matter the situation, we were running the ball, which is great until it's second and 11 and you're behind the chains. The offense doesn't know how to do anything, right? And everything just seems to fall apart. I don't want to pretend like Justin Fields had some game today where he looked and felt like he was perfect and we can only talk about him as if he was totally faultless. That's not the point I think either you and I are trying to make here. But man, oh man, it feels like a Vikings team that was desperate at corner and poor in linebacker coverage where they really had like Harrison Smith, a decent second safety whose name escapes me at this moment, and then just sort of a bunch of guys. But they had Michael Pierce, they had Anthony Barr, they've got some talent on the defensive line. Of course, the Bears offensive staff schemed up a game plan entirely around attacking that defensive line because that makes sense. When yeah, exactly. And, and Eric Hendricks before he got ejected. Right. You know, I, I, I sit there and go, this is, you know, I was excited for this game for, for one reason, is I wanted to see Justin Fields attack a pretty weak secondary. That's what I wanted to see. And and I I understand the Vikings defense was softer in the fourth quarter. I'm not I'm not an idiot. But the fact of the matter is, is when they fell behind enough where you let Justin Fields attack the secondary, he had an obscene amount of success. And I, like I said, I understand part of it had to do with Viking scheming. But the fact that there was just little of that at all for three, three and a half quarters just boggles the mind. They're sitting there going, let's try and make, you know, David Montgomery the leading receiver on the team. I just, the, the, the lack of awareness sometimes by this offensive coaching staff is astounding. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially since now that we're finally seeing Justin Fields, where somebody said it in the comment section here on the live show, but I think it bears repeating. Fields was, I'll quote this person, generally good with about five or six god-awful plays mixed in, which I actually feel like is a pretty good way to put it, Bill. And I mean, let's remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about NFL quarterback sometimes, especially during the Trubisky eras. I'm, I I could say it. Like, I stand by everything that I said during that time, but Bill, we do tend, as Chicago, to take quarterback as you need to be perfect all the time because we haven't had one good enough to teach us how often a good quarterback makes mistakes, right? And so Fields was, I don't think there's any way to put it, undoubtedly the better quarterback today and way, way underproductive in terms of points. I mean, it was rough watching Justin. Yes, he made mistakes, no doubt, right? But the plays that he did make, the plays that he did deliver, sure, he dealt with some drops. Those actually aren't what I'm thinking about. I thought his fourth and nine throw to Mooney was good enough for a touchdown. Didn't end up in the end zone. I thought Jimmy Graham had a 50-50-ish shot at the ball that he had in the end zone. Didn't end up a touchdown. Like, there were mistakes all over the field. Some by his teammates, some just rough luck, but gosh... It feels like they can't catch a break from number one on, you know, and 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 they they really can't. And some of them is is a lack of execution. Some of it is mistakes, penalties play into a part a lot of times where they shoot themselves in the foot and a bad holding penalty or a bad personal foul call. And next thing you know, a, a drive is stymied that way. It happens all the time. And and what we're seeing here. What we saw again, you know, especially today, is we are seeing an offense that even when it's clicking and and moving the football, and, and I don't know if you want to say the offense was clicking, but they were moving the football today better than the Vikings were. Even when that's the case, when they get to the twenty yard line, they turn into a bunch of eight year olds playing against the uh, you know the NFL elite. They cannot execute a play. They cannot gain a yard. They they, they cannot. Whether it's the play call where you sit there and go, why aren't you trying to use, you know, the skill set of Justin Fields more in the red zone to make him more of a threat? Why aren't we doing that? Why are we, you know, dropping, you know, balls on a consistent basis? What I mean, there's so many issues with this red zone offense that I don't even know where to start. And I mean, look, I'm, I'm not a coach. 
right? I wish I had some kind of magic serum or or something that I could I could use to suss this out. Because you're right, Bill. It's it's all over the place. But the positive that I could mention is that I feel like Justin Fields is managing the pocket a lot better. He took two sacks today. They were obviously both very bad, and we don't need to. <laughs> Not a lot of positives there. If anything, glad that Justin was able to recover the fumble on that screen sack. But other than that, Bill, we saw Fields take a fumble in the Baltimore game from stepping up in the pocket a little bit rashly. Now he's stepping up vertically when he needs to. He's threatening scrambles sometimes, but also checking it down consistently. He's extending plays in both the red zone and just regular Joe Schmo downs in the middle of the field. Fields is starting to look at a, on a down-to-down basis, like a quarterback that can handle himself in the NFL, and I hope I'm not ruffling too many feathers to say he didn't look like that at the start of the year. I feel like what nobody really had thought about. this It dawned on me at, like, maybe week seven. Look, it's not like I was early to the party, right? But coming out of Ohio State, moving from a team where his guys were just, like his teammates, were just better than everybody, right, that he knew his receiver could get open, that it wasn't a question. Chris Olave was going to beat the corner across from him at Rutgers or Michigan State, that as he's adjusted to the NFL, he's overcome a subtle rawness, right, that mainly has favored quarterbacks like Drew Brees from Purdue or uh, Tom Brady, sixth-round draft pick, obviously, out of Michigan. You look at a lot of the quarterbacks that have been successful. They've come from, I don't want to say lower-tier programs, but they haven't been those upper-echelon guys, and I wonder if part of it is this hurdle you have to overcome of kind of getting used to your teammates not automatically being better than everybody, but I feel like, and I'll finally pass things over to you, Bill, after this long-winded way of saying it, Fields is starting to look like a more complete quarterback, that it's not flash in the pan and then absolutely ugly. We're seeing his baseline raise a lot higher than it was at the start of the season. And I think that's the key to develop it, right? It's not even about raising the highs. It's about raising that floor. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's a good way to put it. And I'll and I'll kind of kind of walk through the season here a little bit. Like you said, the beginning of the year, it was not good. And I understand the Browns game wasn't all Justin Fields' fault. That was a mess of a, a an offensive game plan, mess of an offensive line. I, I get I get all of that. But early on in the season, it looked like Justin Fields was simply not ready to be on an NFL field. Then we got to that Lions game where Fields showed you the elite arm talent. It was really the first time we saw that elite arm talent. Then we kind of saw the leadership and the toughness kind of come through in that Raiders game. The Packers game, he was inconsistent, but that was really the first time you saw him put together a couple drives where he looked complete for a full drive and put together, you know, I don't remember, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but long scoring sustained drives. He had two touchdown drives against the Packers. But only the drives. To your point. Right. Like and then the rest drives? of the time there was there was inconsistencies and problems. Then you get kind of into the San Francisco and, and the Pittsburgh games where you, we started seeing it really click for him a little bit more. Ravens game, he didn't finish the, you know, the game and he didn't look good for when he was in there. And now we're kind of seeing it with this Packers and this Vikings game where you're seeing a more complete quarterback. You still get every once in a while, you'll get the flashy run play. You'll get the beautiful deep ball. You'll see those flashy plays, but it's, you know, there's still like the jump pass today was, was horrendous. Uh, you know, not going to, there's, there's no defending that. And some of the times where he just keeps running backwards in the second in, in the backfield to avoid sacks and a six yard sack ends up being a 19 yard sack or whatever it is. You know, th- these are things where he has to kind of, you know, and I understand he's going to want to try and use his athleticism to extend plays. And, and that's going to happen from time to time, but sometimes he just doesn't know when to cut bait and just get to the sideline and chuck the ball out of bounds. And that's enough for your athleticism is to avoid the six yard loss and get the ball out of bounds. So you can live to play another day on second and 10 or third and 10 or whatever it might be instead of third and 24. So there's still the mistakes, but I agree with you. What we're seeing is more consistent quarterback play, especially from the 20 to the 20 still obviously issues with the red zone, which are all Justin's fault. But yeah, I agree with you. That's, that's kind of how we've seen this season progress. We have a few more games against some not-so-impressive defenses, so hopefully we can continue to see him grow. Hopefully. I love it. I mean, come on, Bill. I thought going into this game, he and the offense were going to be the only thing worth watching. 
can can we just agree that that was completely wrong and totally backwards? Because seriously, the only thing fun about this game was the defense. The offense was hard to watch. And oh my gosh, I, I don't know. Which part hurt to you more, Bill, right? The, what what is it? The, the fourth and one where Darnell Mooney was placed in the backfield only so that he could run out and Fields had nowhere to go. The ball ends up turned over on downs. The muffed punt by Demir Bird or something else like the, let's just say it, some of the officiating calls really drove a lot of people crazy. Like, which was your least favorite part of this game? <sighs> That's, uh, hmm, all right. That's a tough one because there's a lot to choose from. Um, that the problem with a lot of these, and and I'll bring up the muff putt. I'm not gonna. There were some bad play. I don't think Deion Bush deserved the, the penalty he got. I, I think there were some bad calls, but I will say there were a couple calls, especially on the interception, uh, that um, the the refs did miss a couple. You know, for the Bears' favor as well. But, you know, and it's consistently the one thing that does bother me is the amount of times Justin Fields gets pummeled and there is no help from the the, the officiating. They just don't come and help him at all and at least let the defense think for a second that, you know, there might actually be a, a penalty if, if they actually hit the quarterback. So until that happens, the defenses are still going to keep coming after him. But I would say I was most frustrated. I guess I kind of just laughed and shook my head. But I was probably most frustrated with that, um, with the bird uh, muff punt because Ooh, it was bad. Every time I felt like, like I said, the Bears were never really in this. The Vikings scored early. The game was always close, but you just never felt the Bears were going to get back into it. And it was because every time the Bears had an opportunity where the defense would make a stop and be like, okay, here it goes. And I, and I kind of felt that in, with that bird play. And it's just like at, at that moment with that bird play, you just, to me, it was the, at the point where I said, it doesn't matter what happens in this game. The Bears will prevent themselves from winning. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, right? And to speak on the penalties, I feel like there are so many of these where – I, I get the impression, Bill, people will go, what are you calling unnecessary roughness on Travis Gibson for? What are you talking about? He didn't do anything. They must have, oh, no. Oh, no, he pushed him. Yeah, no, he instigated it. Never mind. That's just that's just a bad penalty. Like, the tease to bore one, I think you said Dion Bush, but you're thinking tease to bore on that low block, right? That one was really weird, and I see where the ref was coming from. I just disagree. Now, I feel like it's very on the line. Like, the offensive lineman turned around for it immediately, almost as if the NFL had sent out some kind of a mail tape, and that was like a textbook case to be on it, and Tabor had just happened to make the tackle afterwards. I don't know. But the Vikings lineman looked for it immediately. Like, he, he looked at the ref, asked for it, not dissimilarly to Justin Fields turning around and asking for a personal foul on that ridiculous post-kneel-down late hit that we saw that if that hadn't have been called, I would be still yelling about it and would have started <laughs> from the start of this presser or from this uh, this post-game show. But, yeah, I mean, I think the one flag that I'm truly just cool with was Tevin Jenkins's, which is going to make me sound so old school football, but for crying out loud, I am perfectly fine with anything you take sticking up for your quarterback, especially since Sheldon Richardson jumped over and sucker punched him before he started throwing hands. Like, I don't know what you saw, because Bill, you're the one who played offensive line. You've been in those scrums, but I have to imagine that there's just so much hot breath and emotion going on that a little bit of extra, uh, let's call it aggression, I don't personally have an issue with it. But other than that, rough game from the discipline perspective. It felt like there was always a yellow flag to set the Bears back whenever they did anything right. Yeah, no, the the, the penalties were an issue. And, yeah, you know, if you want to give Tevin Jenkins a break, because if the referees aren't going to protect Justin Fields, then the offensive line better. And, and while Jenkins hasn't been on the field much with Fields this year, obviously because of the injury, you, you like to see that because, you know, as, as someone who was older and has seen the Bears a little bit longer than some of the people who are listening to this podcast, not all, but but there's there's plenty. Um, 
I'm going to rewind the clock to the Cade McNown era. And the reason I'm going to do that is because the Chicago Bears offensive line hated Cade McNown. There was a story, and I don't know who wrote it, that, you know, an unnamed source says that at times the Chicago Bears are missing blocks because they do not want to put the effort forth for Cade McNown. And the next day, or maybe it was two days later, James Big Cat Williams was wearing a T-shirt that just said, The Source. That's the kind of stuff where that that just did not give a you-know-what about Cade McNown and the offense because it was so dysfunctional. You can't have that. That offensive line needs to protect Cade McNown, or it needs to protect Justin Fields like it's a, you know, it's a puppy crossing traffic. Like they need to do everything they can to keep him safe. And when you see Tevin Jenkins seeing that stuff happening on the sidelines and immediately coming over and telling the defense, knock that out or you're going to deal with me because I am a giant human being and I'm larger than you. That's what you need out of your offensive line. They need to have that sense of protection about fields, not just because the scheme says you're supposed to, you know, slide left or you're supposed to do this and, and, and get this man. They need to do it because they want to keep him upright. There's, there's a passion to it involved and Jenkins has it. And hopefully that materializes into him being a solid tackle. That is a hilarious story. And yet Jenkins used to clean up the, uh, the, the fouls. He had a false start, a hold and a personal foul today. So I'm talking flags in general. That's seven in eight quarters. Not anybody's ideal start to uh, their NFL career, but I won't actually speak on his play. Cause I don't tend to see the offensive line the first time around. I don't know about you, but I really can, don't. Can, can we, speaking of penalties, can we also tip the cap to Daz Newsom for offsides on the oh, offense? Like, oh. I don't know if I've ever seen. I mean, only as long. So, insofar as long as Bill, I want to stick to passion a little bit because <laughs> if there was, if there was a game that I feel like has encapsulated the bad part of the Nagy era, right? Like, let's at, for a moment put 2018 on ice. What does 2019, 2020, and 2021 look like? It's looked like this high effort, super ugly game where a bunch of things go wrong and it's mostly the team's fault, right? And that was encapsulated no by no one better than Matt Nagy taking a personal foul to kick off the game and having one of the most WWE moments I have ever seen in the NFL as he stood on the sidelines. You saw this, right? With the referee, the whole crowd going, yes, challenge it, challenge it, yes. And then he pulls out his challenge flag, emphatically spikes it on the ground, and they don't even count it. They just, they the sky judge comes in who you don't know is there, right? But he goes, no, 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 no worries. We already got you. But they he got that moment. He got that yeah. moment. Like you just, you just needed Jim Ross yelling. He threw the flag. He threw the flag. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's cashing in his money in the bank. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about this game. I don't know. Between last week's Matt Nagy quote of I- "I'm having fun" before them getting dumpstered in the back half, and this game right here, I feel like we got that final naggy moment where and i'm reading i haven't gotten the chance to listen to it it sounds like it's an extremely sad post-game presser for naggy where and i quote he said oh wow uh matt naggy on the struggles of the bears offense during his tenure it starts and ends with me i accept complete responsibility for that it's not even coded language anymore bill i i almost feel like it's not even passionate at this stage to say i i want the bears to just let him go like do the poor man almost a favor do the locker room a favor like if if we're going to start the change making process don't you think mathematical elimination is a decent time to do that it, it is a good time to do it and maybe they maybe they do it here coming off of monday night football but i will say this with the fact that they have a, a covid mess right now and they're coming into what's going to be a short week coming off monday night football i'm guessing Nagy does survive this week um, but I would not be surprised. They could go and uh, beat Seattle next week. I don't think it matters. If they want to move on and take advantage of the rule, they could beat Seattle 44 to nothing. It does not matter. You can let him go on that Monday and begin interviewing candidates because, yeah, you, you do need to let Nagy go. That decision can come from George. Uh, you know. But, again, if you're going to interview candidates, 
early, you need to have, and, and, and we've talked about this before, you need to have a front office structure. And if you're keeping Ryan Pace and announced you're keeping Ryan Pace, it's not the right move. But at, at some point, you know, if you're going to take advantage of it, I, I don't need you hiring Ernie Corsi to come in and hire a new coach before you bring in a front office executive. You got you to gotta do it in the right order. And the Bears have sat here and, you know, in essence, it's the same thing in January. What did George do? George didn't want to make a decision, so he put, you know, Pace and Nagy in really in an impossible situation to develop a quarterback and make the playoffs. Those things basically don't can't be married together, um, except on very rare occurrences. And now we're sitting here the same thing. He wanted, I think, I, I don't know this for, for sure, but it certainly seems, you know, he wanted to make sure Matt Nagy had the opportunity to make the playoffs. So he was going to ride with him as long as possible, as long as the bears were in the hunt on those graphics, which we saw going into this week at four and nine, they were still in the hunt, but now we're sitting here going, they haven't made a decision on anything. There's only three weeks to go in the season. Jacksonville needs a new coach. The Raiders can potentially, and even though the Raiders may have the guy they want to keep, who knows, but the Raiders, because Gruden was the coach, they are allowed to interview people. So that's two teams here that can interview head coaching candidates and the Chicago Bears cannot. Hey, and if you and if you do fire Nagy, you're still not going to have the right guy doing the interviews if you are going to bring in, you know, potential head coaching candidates. So the Bears are kind of putting themselves in a situation here where regardless of what happens in the next week with Matt Nagy, they're still not going to be able to take advantage of that new rule and interview head coaching candidates early, at least not by the right people. That's true. And not to mention, based on the rumors that we're seeing about them potentially doing their homework on general manager candidates, like I've seen, I think it was a Glazer report. I can't quite remember, but we're seeing that pop up with a couple different sources here. Like, we'll, we'll see. And I've got more to say about that, but the sponsors have got to get their word in at some point, Bill. And so we're going to step aside. We'll be right back to talk the final thoughts on Bears postgame, game balls, you name it. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm here with Bill Zimmerman, Sirius XM producer and Bear or Bears banter host. Bill, thanks so much for coming on. I have to ask, does it say something bad about me? Am I vindictive? Am I mean, Bill, that I am just eating up every time that they put pace on camera in a game like this and we watch him squirm a little bit like i can't remember who it was in the windy city cadre that said it but somebody talked about how like pace's shadow boss style of shoving matt Nagy out in front of every crisis but being there to take credit for anything that goes well really started to rub me the wrong way over time and so when they showed pace and the mccaskey family and all the people that i feel like at the very top of the bears organization are just as much part of the problem as the poor bald man running around on the sidelines with no idea what he's doing there was something inside of me that smiled on late Monday night. So tell me, <laughs> am I broken from inside? No, out? you're not broken. You're a Bears fan. And see, that's <laughs> the thing. So if you are broken, Bears Nation is broken. Because, <laughs> and here's the good thing about the vast majority of, of Bears fans. And 
they understand the problem. You know, when the, the national media, for the most part, they, they skate in and they look at this and go, well, Nagy's scheme is a mess and they're not winning. The, the talent's not there. So, you know, Nagy needs to go or Pace needs to go or maybe both. And, and that's what you're going to get from the national media. But the Bears fans have lived this existence for their entire lives, whether that be 20, 30, 40, 70, 80 years. It doesn't matter. And, and what they have learned to know, especially since in the last 30 to 35 years, Especially then. Now I'm, and again, I'll sit here and say, and 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 Jeff Burks is a great guy to talk about. George Hallis, who is just idolized, and and I understand, founder of the NFL, amazing things in the 30s and 40s. George Hallis goofed a lot of stuff up for the Bears from 1950 to 1980, a lot. I know they won a championship, but he let a lot of guys go. So when I say you can be 60, 70, 80 years old and just know this woe of the Bears, it even dates back to Hallis. The organization is not run well, and it's frustrating. And, you know, and I know people like to point the finger at, at Ted Phillips, and Ted Phillips isn't making football decisions, but Ted Phillips is still the president of the team. And Ryan Pace reports to Ted Phillips, and Ted Phillips doesn't know what he's watching on the football field. So he can't hold Ryan Pace accountable. The only thing he can hold Ryan Pace accountable for is the record. They're, they're, he, he doesn't know enough of the ins and outs of what this football operations is is about and and george is the same way and the mccaskies are here you know when i had brad biggs on brad doesn't seem to think that that the mccaskies are going anywhere anytime soon i know some people are hopeful that maybe they're setting up to sell with this arlington heights deal biggs doesn't think that so i'll go with biggs if the mccaskies are here it is of the utmost importance that this team has the right front office structure whether it be a you know a president of business operations and a president of football operations and you split Ted Phillips role, whatever it might be. I think, you know, I understand how important the head coach is for Justin Fields' development. They need to figure out front off, assuming pace is gone, assuming Nagy's gone, they need to figure out front office structure because it hasn't been here pretty much since George Hallis died. And it can't continue this way, or we as Bears fans will continue to be broken. Right. And I mean, it's just it's just so unbelievably frustrating watching this team at the moment, because like you're saying, they need change. They need change in a big way. But it feels like when just to tie it back to the, the game itself, Bill, as if whether it's Thomas Graham popping off and I I completely understand I was one of the people out there that was saying hey if he's on the practice squad I mean I know he's a zone-based corner a heady corner I don't know what it's like because or I don't know how he's doing like how he is in week 10 bill versus week 12 because we don't get to go to practice unfortunately but if he's on the practice squad, maybe he needs to be there. Well, he's elevated and immediately outplays, I think, anything we've seen at second corner. He had his reps against Jeff Justin Jefferson. He had his reps against the other Vikings receivers. It's not like they had a ton. But I, I don't want to go over my skis here, Bill. It just feels as if, whether it's Jesper Horstead, now tied for the leader in tight end touchdown catches over Cole Komet and tied with Jimmy Graham, who gets like five snaps a game. I, I can't understand understand a lot of the talent evaluation across this roster and for every Larry Borum a hit in the fifth round or Thomas Graham or uh, Khalil Herbert or whatever other player you want to pick on Eddie Jackson uh, Tariq Cohen Jordan Howard there are a lot of them right it feels as if this Bears roster there's always a Demir Bird ready to drop a key pass on third down or fourth down that he absolutely could have had. There's only Darnell Mooney as a viable or wide receiver in the red zone at this stage, which is ridiculous, right? Like the talent across this bears roster drives me nuts because the, the high parts feel like they were under evaluated and the low parts are really, really obvious. And the bears are unfortunately a deserved four and 10 team at this stage. Like, maybe the Pittsburgh loss, I'd look at and say, ah, that's unlucky. But this is that rare game, or team bill, that is absolutely as bad as its record says. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, the, the, the roster is not good. And that's why, look, Ryan Pace, I don't think Ryan Pace is an idiot. I think Ryan Pace made a lot of bold moves. I think a lot of them paid off. He whiffed on Trubisky, and that messed, messed a lot of stuff up, you know. 
did whiff on Nagy as well, which, you know, shocking after 2018 that that's where we are, but that's where we are. But the fact is that there's too many glaring holes in this roster, and those holes are Ryan Pace's fault. And if you look at it, the biggest reason for that is Ryan Pace consistently, consistently trading up in the in the in the draft and not having enough draft capital. Because like you mentioned the names, and there and there's other names, you know, like like Adrian Amos. There's other names in those fourth, fifth, even like a guy like Nick Kwiatkowski. Below Nichols. There there are a lot of these. That we could go you know, through it's these fourth, fifth round picks that 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 pace keeps finding. You would common sense would say, let me collect as many. Let me pull back from the third round and pick up a couple fourths. Let me collect as many mid round picks as I can, because I am as good as anyone in the NFL. And I believe Ryan Pace, if you look at the, the resume of those fourth, fifth round picks, is as good as anyone in the NFL at finding talent in those spots. And instead, he trades them away to scoot up in the second round or the third round to get, you know, Tevin Jenkins or David Montgomery. And I understand those players are good players, but when you don't have those picks, those picks, the Nick Kwiatkowski's of the world, the Deion Bushes, the guys like that that you're going to get in the fourth round that don't necessarily become Eddie Jackson or Tariq Cohen when healthy, they still become viable players that when you when your player gets injured or things don't work out in free agency and you say, all right, I'm going to have to elevate this guy to starter that they can, you know, be a spot starter and not crush you. And Dion Bush in his moments, when he starts around the secondary of Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller and Prince of Mukamar and whoever it was when Bush had to start, he did. Okay. Right. And that's what, that's what those fourth, fifth round picks need to be. That's where you have your depth. You can't sign the Artie Burns's of the world to, to one-year contracts and think you're going to have decent depth. There's a reason those guys are on the scrap heap. You need those mid-round picks. You just it, NFL is a next man up, te- you know, is a next man up league. And when you don't have the next man ready to go, when you have a few injuries, you look decimated because you just don't have the bodies to step in and fill in adequately. Just none of them either. I mean, what at least has really frustrated me the more I watch them, right? So the Bears are short Allen Robinson. I think everybody knows that. And not to mention... Whether he's on the field or not, they're short. Well, I was about to say, the the Allen Robinson they've gotten on the field has has left a void of the Allen Robinson that they've had in the past, which has been a real bummer. But at this stage, Bill, am I crazy for feeling like, like at this moment, it feels as if Mooney's pretty much the only wide receiver out there. Like, we've got number 85. Like, he can catch the ball sometimes. He dropped two on stick combos today, which is a real bummer. Uh, Remains to be seen whether they were particularly easy catchable balls, but still for for the lot of – I don't know. It's weird to talk about Komet. You and I talked about this in the pre-show. He's the Bears' leading receiver today. He caught, like, four underneath balls, a lot of them in third and billion, like, situations that helped kind of fluff his numbers, and a really nice ball over the middle. Like, that was a really good play, and dropped two drive starters that probably didn't help, right? So, do do you hate Kmet? Well, you got your ammo. Do you love Kmet? You probably got your ammo there, too. Weird player to discuss. Man, is he a lightning rod. Like, I don't know which one gets talked about. He really is. And and look, the way Allen Robinson has played, and he's on the shelf again, uh, obviously for a different reason, whether you like Cole Komet or hate Cole Komet, he's the second best receiving option on the Chicago Bears right now. That's how bad it is. Yeah. Because Cole Komet is inconsistent. Even if you like Cole Komet, you have to sit there and go, well, he does have the drops and he is missing this or missing that. You, you do have to, you know, if you're objectively looking sure. at Cole Komet, you're not just looking at the big plays and going, he's amazing, he's the next Travis Kelsey. You know, you're not you look thinking, at him objectively, you you're know, not, you're going to see that there's holes in his game. And he is, he really is the second best receiving option on the Bears. Yep. And that's just to show how woeful this offensive unit is that's around Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he would be a killer fourth option, just to throw it out there. Like, what comes to mind when I keep looking at Kmet at this point, I don't think Kmet is going to be this magical man-separating tight end. And some some guys are, some guys are not. Not everybody's Mark Andrews, right? Maybe he grows into that. That'd be great. But his the stiffness in his hips when he runs doesn't have me feeling super high about it. But 
I mean, Bill, you grew up with the, or not, maybe you didn't grow up, but you watched at the very least the same football I know I did in Dallas growing up. Jason Witten was not the most fluid of hips either. When you're loaded at wide receiver and other skilled talent, you can spread the defense out enough that that soft middle of the field, you just spin around, there's 10 yards, right? Tight end doesn't have to be hard. You can make it a brainy position, and it remains to be seen whether Cole can develop that way because he's about to, like, bumble and drop, if you want to use a bunch of negative words, his way to 600 yards, like, in an offense that won't crack 4,000 passing yards. It's it's funny talking about Kmet in that fashion. And yet, like you said, unquestionable second-best receiving option, which has me feeling really bad for JF1. <laughs> yeah, and, like, you bring up that Dallas offense, and we, we know how great those those early 90s Cowboys teams were and why we're – I mean, they were built – that offense was built to perfection. The best offensive line in the league. Troy Aikman was not going – to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. That wasn't his game. But Troy Aikman didn't make mistakes. Troy Aikman was great on third down. Troy Aikman got third down conversions. And when you have Aikman behind that offensive line and you've got Michael Irvin being the perfect guy to get the volume of passes that he got and Alvin Harper being the deep threat. And like you said, Jason Witten catching the balls and finding the soft pockets. Even a guy like Daryl Johnston, the safety net out of the backfield. And then, of course, you got Emmett pounding the football for 25 times a game. It was crafted perfectly. Everyone had a role. And when you mm-hmm. look at this Bears offense, nobody has a role. That's the problem. Like, all right, Jimmy Graham was brought back clearly to be literally because they don't have red zone threats. And right. that's why I think Matt Nagy was terrified to not have a red zone threat. And they can't even get in the red zone and utilize Jimmy Graham anyway. And, and you know, and, and I mentioned this to you before we went live on the air. Let's assume that Jimmy Graham and Allen Robinson are gone. And that's a safe bet that they're both gone after this year. Who is the red zone receiving threat for Justin Fields? Who's the guy that can he can throw up and get, you know, a 50-50 jump ball and the guy has a chance to bring it down? He's not on the roster. Like whoever is the GM next year is going to have to figure out how to put together a red zone offense because the pieces that they have on this offense right now are not pieces that are going to help them in the red zone. I'm always amazed that the Bears don't do more horizontal action with their receivers, period. I mean, let let me put it this way, Bill. I uh, I come from the simple-minded and somewhat brainless world of playing video games, right? And when they started throwing football into video games, I'm talking all the way back to Tech Mobile, right? Most of the time, strength didn't win you everything. You like to juice up your speed and get people on drags and crossers, feed them the ball, and you run a touchdown. It's easy. Like, I've been playing retro ball on my cell phone. Like, high speed kills. You score like 50 points a game. It's great. In like eight minutes of virtual football. The point being that the Bears just run hitches and curls and like nothing when it comes to crossers or drags or a lot of that vertical action that even in the red zone might help you you out they just don't do it so there is that element of hey maybe if they get an offensive staff that's calling things that sets up their team well to succeed which what what a nothing sentence right but it really starts to feel that simple you and i have been caught in the past bill i'll come out and say it right where you and i have been caught in the past saying come on it's got to be more complicated than just he doesn't put his players in position to succeed Right. And here at the end of the 2021 era, it is blowing my mind going back and taking another look at some of the Trubisky times all the way to Justin Fields and this Bears offense right now. How often it feels like they look and misidentify what's good about their own team. It drives me nuts. Yeah, I think that I think that's a fair point. I mean, how long were were Bears fans screaming last year to get Rashad Coward off the field? It was clear to everyone he could not handle being a starting offensive lineman in the NFL. We all saw it. He was a major problem. He couldn't block like he was he was, you know, giving away plays in his stance because he was shifting his weight, which is a height not even a high school problem. That's a junior high problem. And, and it was clear to everyone and they just kept trotting him out there. And shock of all shocks when Rashad Coward finally went to the bench, the offense improved. And I'm not saying it wasn't going back to Trubisky and, and Laser changing some things up. I understand there were other things, but the offensive line improvement was improvement was palpable once yep. Coward was gone. And now we're seeing it again with guys like Graham potentially and other things. 
what they do on on a regular basis is, is is in terms of evaluating this roster is really confusing and i don't understand what's going on behind closed doors and, and again to to you talking about you know kind of the the play calling and the play styles on offense and look i get it on a third and three and you want to run a four yard hitch to just you know quick play pick up the first down and get a fresh set of downs i i get that usage sometimes but like you're talking about you know crossers and doing you know some different things and and doing some horizontal plays let's go back to the packers game the, the week before with the bird touchdown i understand there was a, you know the the, the, the secondary the, the packers weren't in the right position but fields put it in the right spot and bird caught it and snuck between two defenders and he was gone because he's just coming across and it just works because fields put the ball where bird could keep running and we do so much of these hitches and these stop routes where there's no chance for yak and, and you know the we thought the whole point of matt maggie's offense was going to be giving the guys balls the giving the giving his best players the ball in space so they could do something with it and it never happens nope. ever and with that it's time to give out game balls, Bill. Do you have anybody in mind as we hard pivot to try to end this show under an do, hour, which has been do, a real problem for me? Do I have to give away offensive game balls, or can I just stick with the defense? <laughs> you can. You know what? How about I give you two game balls ambiguous, right? All right. So two game balls. I'm going to give – and I'll, I'll leave an, an obvious one for you. I'm not going to give a game ball to Justin Fields, although he played well. And this is just this is going to go to that Kevin Seifert article for a second before I throw in game balls because I just looked at the ESPN box score, and they finally have put up QBR. Do you know Justin Fields' QBR for this game was 16.5? Really? Does that does that make any sense? Like I don't understand this statistic at all. It's got to be the fumble. Like uh, I yeah, don't I, quite I get know. it. He took some bad sacks. Like I get it, but. 16.5 that is that is that you know and kirk cousins by the way in his wolf of performance was 19 yeah so according to qbr cousins played better than fields and Two i don't touchdowns. know who watched that game and would have said that cousins played better than fields so but for my game balls i'm gonna go up front with both i'm gonna go robert quinn who added two more sacks to his total continues to be a wrecking ball and and on pace to break richard dent's sack record which is remarkable that if you told me in the next three years starting in 2018 that robert quinn was going to have that record and not khalil mack i would have thought you were crazy but i will give one to robert quinn and i will give the other one to akeem hicks the heartbeat of this defense and we saw hicks with a retro game a couple years ago hicks and quinn up front you know really propelled this defense i'm giving my game balls to them well, those are great choices. My third game ball. So first I have to start with an honorable mention game ball. I'm still trying to figure out where to go with the fourth game ball, but I, I don't <laughs> quite. Well, the problem is, is that I have to say something about Pat O'Donnell. I have to. Not okay. only has Pat O'Donnell had the best season of his life, but he had like punt of the century. Like, I almost want to go watch all of the other punts in 2021 to see if there was a better punt, Bill, than Bears. It's ridiculous, right? The 72-yarder down the to Bears the three. Bears desperately need a play from somewhere. They haven't gotten it from their returner. He dropped a punt. They, they're getting it from their defense, but they're not getting anything from their offense. He kicks it over the returner's head. It bounces once and just dies. At the one and a half yard line, like you, you honestly can't draw up a more miraculous 72 yard punt than something where the returner goes back, stares at it so long. He thinks, I guess I should pick it up and doesn't pick up any instance. I mean, it was, it was bananas. Like that, that punt was crazy. And that, like, and I, I have to mention it. I can't necessarily I can't justify a game ball to the punter. I, I feel like that is where a franchise is sunk too low. But I can give a game ball to Thomas Graham, who had not one, not two, but three pass deflections. It looked like a heady corner at all. Like, my favorite play on that was, so the Vikings dialed up. Look, I'd have to look at it again. But it was a smash similar route concept, which if you don't know, is a post tied with some sort of short curl or a drag, something to basically try and force a one-two with the cornerback so that if they play it short, you throw that post or the, it's a, 
it's a, it's not a post. It's a flag. That's what I've always called it. Other people call it a corner to the sidelines. If the if the corner sinks deep, you throw the corner you throw that flag route. If the corner drops off to protect against the flag route, you throw it short. Well, Graham baited Cousins into the flag route, leapt up in the air as high as he could get, and tipped it away anyways. Not to mention tipped balls in that kind of space, Bill. Those are safety interceptions waiting to happen. Like, you love those from a defensive perspective because that's a ball in the air. Like, you're you're into it. But so, uh, Graham played phenomenally. For my fourth game ball, oh, gosh, let, let me talk something out, okay? So, I, I can't give it to Roquan because he didn't have, like, that moment that would be, like, game ball related. But Roquan's been on fire for the last three or so weeks. We've wanted him to be that guy, quote-unquote, in the defense. I feel like we're seeing it. We're seeing 58 play like he's 40 pounds heavier against the run. Like, he's sticking guys in a way that I think is super neat. Uh, on offense, I feel bad giving it to almost literally anybody especially given that everybody had a good moment, but also a really bad moment. So let me think. I guess, Bill, because I'm not going to give it to Megapunt, I'll give it to David Montgomery just for being a Chicago Bear and fighting through a whole bunch of stuff. Man, you know what? I'll give it to Jesper Horstead. He's the only one who caught a touchdown. Like right. at, at some point, who cares, right? Like, what what are we gonna do? What are we rewarding here? Like, David David had his moments, but he had a fumble, right? Justin had his moments, but he had a fumble. We can't we can't reward a quarterback that fumbles once, right? So Jesper Horstead gets our honorary fourth game ball at this point, if only to make the point of just how at least I feel like Bill, we as a fan base could use a breath. Right, the the <laughs> offense is so bad that Lewis Riddick, Brian Greasy, and the third guy in the M- er, in the Monday Night Football Steve booth, Levy. thank you, Steve Levy, are struggling to like say something nice. You know what I mean? They're they're hitting the point where Justin Fields on that fourth and one, they have nothing that they can do but say he, he had nowhere to go with the ball. Like it's. It's not as if I ever want to sit here and promise next year we win the Super Bowl because that's how people get disappointed. But with a with an offense that favors the players that the Bears have on the roster, let alone, Bill, if they sign, say, Michael Gallup and Christian Kirk in free agency, like they got the opportunity and just enough cash to add some real weapons to this team that they could get a lot better. We're not talking about having to make a big leap to get to, like, average Right or to get better, they are I think still thirty second in the league. So any any dead cat bounce is good for the Bears, and so at this point, Bill, I feel like we are being so mad about what Fields is and what Fields isn't that he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback in year one of his career that we're missing real development out of a kid that has next to no help around him, like nothing. It's we're yeah. not talking about missing open receivers outside of Darnell Mooney on that post corner or yeah, the corner route yeah, they had in the too end much zone. Air under it. Yep. Right. That like we can pick out the rare mistakes where it's like, no, 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 that one's on him. But other than that, it's we're just suffering through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 here here's what I'll say about the offense, and I'm gonna try and spin this this as positively as I can. First of all, I think as a whole unit. I don't think the offensive line was, was terrible tonight. I, I think there were some plays that just were blown up. And I think a lot of times they were telegraphed from the start and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just the offensive line. The entire play broke down from the start. I think there may be a game ball hidden. You know, it's, it's tough to do it when you're watching the game live, you need to go back and actually, you know, look at the game in the all 22 to really get, get the idea on the offensive line. But I do think there's probably someone in there who played pretty well today. Um, but when I look at this offensive line as a or this offensive unit as a, as a group moving forward, if you're a believer in Justin Fields, okay, you got the quarterback. You've got a Montgomery Herbert one-two duo in the backfield. That's nice. If Borum and Jenkins are the bookends, if they're even just average tackles, with Whitehair, who I think is a the whole is better than the sum of the parts and plays much better on a better offensive line. And James Daniels, if you keep him around, if you solve center, which probably through free agency, maybe you grab someone in, 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 you know, second, third round. I think Ryan Jensen's hitting the market. 
just Ryan Jensen could be hitting the market. So if you solve center, you have an offensive line that at least has the ability to be average, right, in front of Justin Fields, which is a step forward. Then you've got Cole Komet, who is a serviceable tight end. I don't think he's a game-breaker. Maybe he will be in a couple of years. I don't think he's ever going to get there. Like you said, stiff hips, some lack of athleticism, some things that you want to see that aren't there right now. But if Cole Komet is your tight end, and let's just say you, you, know, you, you shoot for the moon and you get like a Gallup-Kirk combo, if you improve the wide receiving unit for Justin Fields and you get a little development out of the offensive line and you've got Montgomery and Herbert, with the right scheme, the right coach in here, this offense, if they spend wisely in free agency, is not that far from being good. It needs the right coach. It needs the, the money spent in the right places. You, you need to make sure you're allocating in the, in, in the right spots and in the, you're allocating you know, properly. But it's not that far off. You can see the pieces and you need the coach and you need the, you need to fill. There are gaping holes and they're mostly at wide receiver and center. That's the problem. If you can manage to fill those gaping holes and you just see a little more development out of this, this young core a little bit, but the right coach, this offense isn't that far off, which is saying something being their 32nd in the league. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it it's not as if, like you're saying, that it is a quick turnaround to contention, but we're talking about a team that might need to take it in chunks and a good offensive chunk, probably a little bit better than getting ever so slightly better at both and still and still losing a bunch of games. Dang it, Bill. How, how, how long, I say, <laughs> as if I don't know through my 15 years of being a Bears fan that we, we consume eight and eight seasons. I mean, as if they're default, you know? But right. And, and, and on the defensive side of the ball, you need help on defensive line. You don't have enough defensive linemen anymore moving forward. You know, you're going to need someone to sit next to Roquan Smith, you know, at the linebacker position. You need a ton of new people in the secondary. You can't fix everything at once. So if you can only get a piece or two to help the defense next year, your best thing to help the defense is to make this offense hum where you can score some points and chunks and make the other team's offense one-dimensional. Yep, that's all we can do. Well, Bill, any final thoughts about this game? I really think we have really just I think we have to. squeezed through everything. We're, we're getting the juice out of it. Outside of, I guess, we can so. talk very little injury nugget. Jakeem Grant, author of one of the wildest loss of two punt returns that I've seen in a long time, did leave the game with a concussion. So the very rare threat that the Bears have built is gone. So that's it's just how the season's gone. <laughs> yeah, he's right. Uh, you know, Mooney's not getting those explosive plays right now. So yeah, really, Grant was really the only one. And yeah, who 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 knows if he's going to be back next week? But yeah, it's uh, yeah, well, three games to go, fellas. Three games to go. What you got coming up in the pipeline, Bill? So well, uh, the podcast this week we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to have uh, Randy Merkin on who um, is the executive producer, assistant program director of ESPN 1000 in Chicago. He wrote a book. uh, It's called Behind the Glass. And it's kind of about, you know, being a radio producer in sports and what goes into that. And I've worked with Randy. I, I, you know, started with Randy. I almost could say Randy was my mentor early in my career. That's awesome. Which means for all the Bears fans who listen to my podcast and just be like, I want this guy to shut up. You can blame Randy Merkin. He's the reason I stayed with this career. So so there you go. But, um, you know, I was with him in studio when in in with the, the James Allen, uh, Mike Brown, Browns game, the James Allen Hail Mary. Like we were doing a radio show when that went on i was in studio with him for that whole season mike brown against the 49ers you know he's a huge cubs fan he used to just call ernie banks just to talk to him and ernie would just talk to him for for 20 minutes like there's a lot of fun chicago sports stories that i think randy and i are going to talk about so we'll we'll talk some bears and obviously but we're just going to do something a little different because you know we've been talking about this the last couple weeks it's it, it's Groundhog Day on our podcast right now. We're talking about the same things over and over again Ugh. as we wait to find out what the Bears season, for all in, intensive purposes, is over. 
we're just waiting on on Matt Nagy and we're waiting on Ryan Pace. And then we have some some new blood in here and some things to talk about. But until that's there, it feels like Groundhog Day. So we're going to change things up a little bit this week and, and talk about things a little differently. I really appreciate it. Because like you said, I mean, this is, oh gosh, Bill, I was thinking about it at one point. It's uh, going all the way back to the Raiders game where the Bears were coming off fresh win. Uh, we were three and two. Oh, so young. Right, three and two, three and, and two, four and ten. They're not four and ten, so it has they been a lot. One of, and eight stretch. It has been a lot, Bill. Of well, the Bears lost again, and we're talking about it again. <laughs> so, and, and this season, like twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, decent start, slump in the middle, and eighteen and nineteen, they recovered enough at the end to to get back to five hundred and be eight and eight. And this, they just don't have it in the tank this year, and and that, that's that's exactly what's happened. They had the opportunity after the Lions game to maybe recover, and they couldn't, and that's that's it. That's it for this team. I, that's it for Matt Nagy. I hope they win another game. Like I'm at that point. I'm at this broken and sad stage, Bill, where I'm looking. I I just want to repeat it one sad more time. Right, the Bears got Kirk Cousins' worst game ever from a passing yardage perspective and they didn't win that one. So now how do they beat the Seahawks? Uh, they've got to be able to beat Jake from right. They don't get the revenge game against Mike Glennon, maybe, but probably not. Right. So with Daniel Jones going down in New York, you're probably closer to the zeitgeist there than I am. Like, uh, th- that means they would have one more shot of the Vikings, but do, do they beat the giants? Yeah, look, you, you can't think they can beat anyone right now. I mean, can they be competitive? The Giants are just as bad as Chicago. To, so, you know, sure, that's a possibility. But, you know, I, I'm at this point, I'm almost cheering for the Bears out of spite because, look, I'm glad we made the Justin Fields trade, and I think Justin Fields is going to be the guy for the Bears. I still feel strongly about that. But I really don't want the Giants to end up with, like, the third or fourth pick because of that trade. <laughs> I know I have no ill will towards that team, but I just don't, I don't from a personal standpoint, being around a bunch of Giants fans in New York, I just really can't deal with that. Thank you for the third pick or fourth pick of the draft kind of thing. Look, I, I don't know if this draft is going to be top heavy, so I guess that's a plus, but I just, can it just be like the eighth pick? Can we just win a couple <laughs> of these games? <laughs> I get you. I mean, I think it's going to be hilarious where when the Bear, when the Giants square up against the Bears, it'll be a win-win or a lose-lose or a win-lose for draft position depending on where your head's at because that's both of their picks playing each other. Somebody's got to win that game. (laughs) Yeah, the the Giants fans will be cheering for a tie. (laughs) (laughs) That would be sickening to my stomach. I don't want to live through 70 minutes of that, but... That's 70 minutes of a game. It's like six to six. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, where can folks find your work online? At Zimmerman SXM on Twitter. Anything I do, you can find there. And you can find stuff on Windy City Gridiron as as, as well. Uh, The Justin Fields quarterback challenge. Anytime you see me tweet about it, make sure you like that tweet. That is a dollar towards charity. Uh, We have raised uh, $4,500. So, it looks like we are going to hit that goal of raising $5,000 for charity this year. That is so exciting. Unbelievably happy to – I won one, which is not to yes, brag. It's more to say that I got to help donate to Mental Health of America. So make sure that you're submitting your guess on Zimmerman's Twitter so that you, if you do get the stats uh, – assembly right whatever you want to call it you can end up getting to choose where charity or charity money goes which is awesome but outside of that bill anything else before we wrap up uh bear down bear down absolutely (laughs) thanks so much for hanging out everybody have a great rest of your evening